One thing I would tell people is don't shame your triggers. Mm-hmm. Because I think when people say, I don't want to be triggered, I'm like, nah, you know, you don't have that line into your sympathetic nervous system. It's always going to be quicker than you. So it, because it's always going to be quicker, we have to be aware. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. I don't know about you, but when around 3 p.m. hits, I find myself craving the right refreshment to get me through that mid-afternoon slump. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea is full-flavored sweet tea, but without the sugar and the calories. It might take several bottles for you to believe that a delicious sweet tea can really have zero sugar and zero calories. But you know what they say, life is full of surprises. Or in this case, full of flavor. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea. Try it to believe it. For 20% off, off your next 12 pack head to amazon and use promo code 20 pure leaf that's promo code 20 p-u-r-e-l-e-a-f for 20 percent off We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone if you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Whether you're searching for a home to buy or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. You can favorite homes, share listings with others, and even schedule tours with a local Redfin agent, all in the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. They know how to help you win the right home at the right price. So download the Redfin app to get started today. But we were talking about this beforehand, that this is one of the biggest challenges people face in, in modern yeah. society is understanding and navigating narcissism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How to understand if you're a narcissist, how to understand mm-hmm. if there's people in your life mm-hmm. who have these tendencies yep. or personality traits, mm-hmm. and really how to create healthy boundaries yep. the best way possible. First thing I want to talk about uh, with you is because the previous one, we kind of went through unpacking what a narcissist is. Yep. The different types of narcissism mm-hmm. and how to how to spot it and how to see it, mm-hmm. uh, and I think a lot of people got through went through breakups since then. You know, a lot of people probably ended relationships that they realized were very toxic and unhealthy, and not a vision for what they wanted in their right, life. Right, right, right. And so, for people, the first question I will ask you for people who um, who have ended relationships with a narcissist or narcissistic personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, What's the best way for them to enter a new relationship without PTSD or without the remnants of, mm-hmm. are they going to lash yeah. out at me? Are they going to gaslight mm-hmm. me? Are they going to do these things that I've experienced mm-hmm. in the past? What's the best way to overcome that and enter a new relationship without bringing that baggage in right. a new one? I, I, when I work with survivors in my practice and when I speak to them in, my, in, a, in a subscription, like a sort of healing program I've got that people come every month, the one thing I say is you got a way to beat. The temptation is I'm going to throw myself into a new relationship as a palate cleanser. I'm like, you know what, sit with that dirty palate for a minute <laughs> because you need to do this work in you because I think the challenge is, is that 
When people get into narcissistic relationships or antagonistic or toxic relationships, they don't know what they're dealing with or they're replicating cycles from earlier in their life, right? Or both. And so what happens is, is that it's, if you, if you pivot too quickly, you don't get a chance to sort of know you. A narcissistic relationship does such a number on you. You have now been living in someone else's reality, right? People forget like, do I like pepperoni pizza or do I enjoy this TV show or what temperature do I want the house at? Like you literally lose sight of your own subjective sense of who you are. You lose sense of reality or your, and your own perception of things. You just lose it all because you literally have been living in psychological servitude to this other person. So I tell people, listen, my gold standard is a year. Give yourself a year, which I know is not a short period of time. And everyone really, I'm like, you know what? Take care of your own business, but a year. I understand that feels like a long time, but here's the thing. These relationships get so much into someone's head that in a year a person can re-coalesce and they can unpack it and they can start putting down some of the rumination. You certainly don't want to do that in a new relationship, right? You don't want to bring that. You don't want to bring that in. And you can also learn what you like, what you don't like, so that when somebody encroaches on that and says, they say something contemptuous is, oh, who eats that? And say, okay, this is not, this is not okay. I'm not doing this again. You can start recognizing those patterns of what just doesn't feel right. But if you roll right into it, it's almost like a recreation of the old cycle. You need that separation. You need a break from anniversary dates. You need to have that first birthday alone, their first birthday alone, the holidays you do, the vacations you take. You've got to go live a life without them. And once you, because otherwise you're so again, caught up, you might get caught up in someone else's sort of whole toxic bomb storm. So now I know a lot of people say a year just feels too long. I'm like, I got you. I get it. A year is optimal. And the folks who've done it said, I don't regret doing that at all now. But for a lot of people, it might even be eight months, nine months. But there's a moment, Lewis, after a narcissistic relationship where a person will look up as they go to bed that night and say, oh my God, I didn't think of them once today. That's a good day. That's an amazing day. And I want not just one of those. I want a person to have a month of those. That'd be huge. A while of those where they're just, you know, sure something might remind them or something, but not that like, what are they doing? What are they up to? Almost to the point where you've detached. It might even be a moderate indifference. Like, oh, whatever. Yes. Let them do them. It doesn't like trigger you. It doesn't set you off in the same way. But I do caution people. Depending on the severity of the narcissistic relationship, sometimes people will report feeling those echoes years down the line, even if they've fallen in love with someone else. And someone will say, does that mean I'm not over them? Not at all. It means that the way the trauma systems and the mind and the body hold on to information, it means that anything that reminds you of that can still activate you. I've been through this, and i got to tell you, to this day, I think if I saw some of the people who harmed me in the past, I can think of a few. You'd have a response. Oh my gosh, beyond a response. I actually think I would have to, I would almost, it would be akin to panic. And I'm, I honestly do not care what happens to those people, but if I saw them, it would be really upsetting for me. It's not that I'm not over it, it's just that I, it's just my nervous system is like right. danger, danger, death. Get away one. from this experience, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Interesting. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you're, the optimal is nine months to a year, but it's really more like taking the temperature of allowing your nervous system to heal. See if you can have a few days in a row and a month in a row where you're not thinking about that person or it's not triggering you. 
consistently before you enter into a new relationship. And that you're clear on who you are. You're yes. not Because in a narcissistic relationship, you're defined by the relationship. Are they happy today? Are we having a good day? Are they happy with their lives? It's everything is about them, mm -hmm. right? So now for the first time, you make things be about you. Like, I'm, I'm good. Like, no, I want to pursue this job. Yeah, no, I'm moving to New York. And not like, oh, is this going to work? you for a minute you and and when you meet your person capital p and it's healthy they might say like ah you know what for about six months we could do this long distance or i can work remotely i'll come to new york or we'll figure it out you'll start to see that there's a possibility for compromise but i do think that a lot of people after a narcissistic relationship their tripwire is a bit more sensitive and they may throw a back a few fish that are big enough to keep and that's okay <laughs> i'd rather that they people overcorrect than undercorrect mm -hmm. and they might say am i and this is where again when i work with clients they'll say am i being too intense about this is this too big an ask nine times out of ten lewis it's not too right. big like they're right on point with the thing they're sensing feels red flaggy to them or doesn't feel comfortable or something doesn't isn't sitting well and i'm teaching people listen to that it's so funny you're saying this because uh when i got into my my relationship with martha my girlfriend mm -hmm. now in the beginning i was like listen part of i think i specifically said to her like i kind of want you to run away from me because mm -hmm. i want to be so authentically myself mm -hmm. that it either draws you into me because you accept and receive who i am or mm -hmm. it kind of repels you away from me of like my truth and my vision and my mission and who i am in this world mm -hmm. and my, my being right my what i want to create in this life because I think I gave in so much in previous mm -hmm. relationships to please others uh, and to mm -hmm. be change who I was and morph to make sure that they were okay mm -hmm. and happy, which is all my responsibility for 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 doing that. Um, but I was like, I'm not changing who I am just to make one person uh, happy, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to. This is who I am. If you want, if you want to hang out and be friends and see how it goes, cool. If not, that's cool too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to change myself to try to get you to like me and make you right. constantly happy. And, right. You know, or anytime you're upset at me for doing something, I'm going to stop, you know, doing it just to make you happy and be right. on edge. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that I did that. Well, yeah. Part of me was like probably some PTSD in the beginning where I was like, I'm just doing this to protect myself. Right. Because I'd rather be single. Correct. Then get into a relationship that's unhealthy. And that's the key, right? I'd rather be single than get into a yes. relationship that's unhealthy. And that's the, that's because that's, that's what people are afraid of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was like, I'll be single the rest of my life mm -hmm. if it's, if mm -hmm. it means I'm not going to be in this type of relationships that I've mm -hmm. been in the previous. Uh, and it's creating a new standard for myself. Mm -hmm. You know, what mm -hmm. I'll allow in and what I want to allow, what boundaries I'll create and, and making sure that it's in alignment mm -hmm. with our, my partner as well. And I'm glad I did that. Even though in the beginning, she's like, you might have had a little PTSD still from the previous relationship. I'm kind of glad that I came with that. I would call it, I was very courageous in my communication about mm -hmm, this is mm -hmm, my truth. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, it, and it may scare you away. And right. I have to be okay if you're not Correct. accepting it. I have to be okay if you don't like me. Correct. And here's like an amazing woman that may not want to be with me. And mm -hmm. I have to be okay with that. Yes. But it's not giving in anymore. Right. right. It's not giving in. And I, and I think, think that that's the key. Yeah. And it was a, it was a beautiful experiment for me mm -hmm. entering a relationship that way by being honest about this is who I am. This is my values. This is my vision. This is what I'm aligned to and what I'm not aligned to. Mm -hmm. um, if this is something you want to explore, then let's keep dating and exploring mm -hmm. it and seeing how it goes. 
And I think that was a was a beautiful experience for me to witness the receiving of that mm-hmm, on the other side. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just being consistent with my word. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what I want, this is what I not want. Mm-hmm. And being in that place. But um, how can we make sure, but in the beginning, I'll probably say there was a little PTSD remnants of, mm-hmm. of, of it. How can we make sure we don't bring in that energy is it just waiting for a year and nine months and doing the work on the healing process but how do we not bring any of that past relationship into new relationships when you say bring that past relationship into new relationships what do you think that looks like what do you mean by that the traumas of the past relationship the trigger responses the you know things that you did in previous relationships to protect yourself how do you continue to keep an open heart and open mind and not go back into the default. Right. So one thing I would tell people is don't shame your triggers. Mm-hmm. Because I think what people say, I don't want to be triggered. I'm like, nah, you know, you don't have that line into your sympathetic nervous system. It's always going to be quicker than you. So you are, it, it is, it, because it's always going to be quicker, we have to be aware. For example, sometimes we even feel it. Like, I know that for people in a relationship, something will happen. They'll hear something and they'll feel that tightness in their chest, that funniness in their gut, Right. The key then becomes is to say, okay, I am uncomfortable. Let me hear through that. That's where the mindfulness, you almost got to try to punch through that. Let me be present with what they're saying. Even though, you know, it's almost like trying to listen to someone in a noisy bar at that point. You know, when you lean in, you're like, okay, I'm fully concentrating yeah. on what this person's saying because oh, it's chaos yeah. around me. But so that's that chaos, that sympathetic nervous system turning on is like the noise in a bar. So now you're really leaning in, you're looking at them. I know when I have that response, I literally watch their mouth because I'm like, okay, I can shape out the words and it almost gives me a totally mindful space to watch them shape the words. It's almost like you can think of it in a movie when they go right to someone's mouth. And so now I'm really paying attention to what they're saying because the the danger of the trigger is that we, we don't hear. Right, so it's to be we're aware. Mode we're, we're, right yeah, away, we're right? just like we're we're in freeze mode. Our eyes become wide. The whole nine yards. We feel that, and then we start to name it and say, "Ah, I can feel that I'm getting activated like I did before. I've really got to listen. I'm not going to because sh- we can't. You're not going to turn that off. That's my point. Is that people say I've got to wait till I can turn it off. I'm like, then you're going to be 117, and that's when you're going to start dating again. Which I'm <laughs> sure you're going to be. You know, there's a great dating pool. I'm sure, no doubt. But at that point, of the other 117 uh-huh. year olds, but no, you can't. You otherwise you're forever. Then you're living in the, and you're living, still living in service to that relationship. And the whole idea is to no longer live in service to your narcissistic relationship. To the past relationship. To the past relationship. So the trigger then becomes, to me, triggers are communication. Your nervous system is saying, whoa, something dangerous is happening. And you're kind of saying, I get it. I need to listen. This is new. Because when you think of what post-traumatic stress is, right, it's a programming. So if you use a classical example, I don't know, a person got into a, an accident on a particular Cross stretch of the freeway, yeah. right? So they avoid that road, right? And let's say then one day the Uber driver takes that road and their heart is racing because th- that, that's almost been sort of imprinted in. But you know what? You go down that road enough times, you, set, you don't let the racing heart say, oh, I can't go on this road, something terrible is going to happen. You say, okay, I'm going to tolerate this. Maybe you have someone in the car with you mm-hmm. the first time. So it, you can't stop living, but you, you can also hear those triggers happening. And in the new relationship, give yourself permission to communicate, not say like, I'm being triggered and I think you're cheating on me. That might be a little heavy. And say, you know, I need a minute. I, you know, 
in my past X and Y happened. So at these moments, I know it just, it takes me a minute. Can you, it's hard for me. I, I, my trust was betrayed. So I'm going to need time to build that trust. I always say that in some ways, people coming out of narcissistic relationships are at an incredible advantage. Because if you can really be honest with yourself about saying, I'm going to ask for what I need. And if this person ain't going to give it, then maybe this isn't my person. And time is a big one. Narcissistic relationships are usually like this. Fast, 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 right? Let's do this. We're in love. This is yes. the best thing ever. Let's move in. Let's do this. Let's go to Paris for three years. Like whatever kind of over the top stuff. But time is usually a way that people can build trust. You can see that there's a new way to respond. A loving, kind person will say, we're good. We're going to take this really, really slow if, if you need that. Because then that's telling you that this person's hearing you on one of many things you need someone in an intimate relationship to do. And maybe because I'm older, I say the, I think and say these things is that, you know, this, forgive me, this is going to sound so off color, but I'm just going to say it is the, um, I call it the wiping test. I need you to look at this person. You know, everyone's young and beautiful and dating. Uh -huh. I want you to fast forward to your 85 or maybe 90 and you've, you snapped a hip or something. This person going to wipe your ass and be loving about it. And if the answer is yes, it's probably a keeper. Right. But if you think like this person's going to sneer or doesn't want to be in the hospital, no, not your person. And I know that. But if you're really thinking you're going to go the distance with this person, are they going to stay up all night with a kid who has diarrhea? Are they going to wipe your are they going to be okay if, when things are no longer okay? Because that's where narcissistic relationships fall apart, when real life comes along. So try that wiping right. test. I'll tell you now, ain't no narcissist in the world going to wipe your ass. I promise you that right now. <laughs> yeah, I think Esther Perel talks about the difference between a love story and a life story. Yeah. Or a love yeah. partner and a life, life partner, partner, right? Where mm -hmm. it's like you could have romance and adventure and you know crazy sex with a, a love partner right mm -hmm. but are they going to be a great life partner for yep. you yep. during these times you're talking about correct there's also kind of like the someone else mentioned this i can't remember who the the 10, meal test mm -hmm. do you want to have 10,000 meals with this individual yeah if mm -hmm. every other meal they're exhausting to be around mm -hmm. and they're ungrateful and they're mm -hmm gaslighting you or whatever they're doing do you want ten thousand of these great, i love that for the rest of your life like can mm -hmm. you imagine sitting down for ten thousand meals with this person mm -hmm. so that's why i think ten thousand meals life story you know all these things i think are great but i feel like i'll speak from example i used to get caught up so much in the passion the excitement the, the chemicals yeah. of the early relationship moments right I used to think this is incredible, this feeling, this love, right? And then six months, nine months, 12 months, it's like you start to unwind and realize, well, what are, do we have the same values and are we in alignment of what life looks like together and our lifestyle? And then you try to, I tried to make it work, right? So it was always out of alignment from the start. And you mentioned something off camera about, you know, when we find someone who is quote unquote boring. Mm. That's a great sign. I, especially for people of histories of trauma. Yes. I mean, I think that for some folks, you know, it's the, 
it's the again it, the the activation the trauma bond the the sort of hot and cold is what equals love that i need to earn love that i constantly have to feel like i'm running faster and faster on the treadmill becomes equated with love that's the love equals chaos kind of thing so the person where it's yeah, kind of like not healthy flat love. it's not the flatness though and i think i even hate the word boring whereas yes. as much as it's More not calm. volatile it's calm right it's calm, calm it's yeah run towards the calm, calm. is calm is those are what long-term relationships look like. But I think people... They want the they, chaos. They, they want, the chaos becomes... is equal. It's not even that they want the chaos. It's that chaos equals love. They want love. And so it's a rewriting of that love is stable. Why do, they, why do people... You know, I'm as guilty as anyone in the past for this. Why do people th- feel loved or think it's love when there's explosiveness or there's chaos or there's someone screaming at you and then apologizing mm. and it's just this pattern why does that feel like love is that because we maybe saw this as a model as our as our childhood from our parents or why does that mm-hmm. why do some people feel that's love where others can see that's not healthy i don't want right. that well i mean part of it goes to this concept of trauma bonding which is sort of the core of the narcissistic relationship and in the trauma bond is, is formed by a relationship that has an alternation of good and bad, hot and cold, high and low. So in a way, you're sort of chasing a high. Because where there's a bad day, guess what's going to come again? Makeup sex or whatever makeup looks like, right? Because as a kid, what it was was that you'd live for those good days. Despite all the abuse, then there'd be a fishing trip. Despite all those bad days, then your parent would do something. There'd be something so quirky and fun about them. Or you're like, the day they do something good, now you could go back to constructing the narrative that I come from a normal, happy family. That is the origination of that trauma bond. But then in order to keep the mindset that the relationship's good, you have to justify, justify, justify. You have to make sense of those bad days to fit the good days. So the justification and the denial become big parts of the trauma-bonded theme. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. 
When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too. In person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Now, obviously, that trauma bond is going to play out a lot more powerfully in somebody who has that in their backstory because your entire childhood was wired around, how can I get this parent to notice me? How can I be seen? How can I be heard? How can I be cherished? It's about a chase because that child was put in the unfortunate position of believing they had to earn that or even worse, their needs were shamed and their parent resented them for having needs. So they learned, well, if I'm going to be in love, got to be quiet, can't bring up my needs. There's going to be bad days, but then there's going to be good days. And those bad days are because, well, maybe I was too demanding or, you know, maybe I'm expecting too much. So it, a lot of it becomes self-blame focused. And that becomes a really profound kind of connective tissue. It's not to say, though, people who, not everybody who gets into a trauma-bonded relationship has that history. They're by far the people who are going to be more vulnerable. But because narcissism is about such a good front game, right, the charm, the charisma, the love bombing, you, you feel like you're in something really, really special. But the reason narcissistic relationships are so confusing is because there's enough good days to confuse you. And the good days are good. Right. I mean, they're really, really they're good. They're over the top. Yeah, they're over the top. And they sort of feel perfect. And remember... You, you try to go back to that, right? You, and you go back to it. But the thing we got to remember is sometimes those good days even stay in there years later. You know, that it's whatever that moment is. And narcissistic relationships are all about alignment. If they're having a good day, right, for whatever, maybe they're a good day at work or maybe they flirted with someone at the gym, you don't know what it is. Then, the and narcissist. You, the narcissist. And you are having, happen to have a good day. Something good happened to you. And you then you're like, they get me and they love me. No, it's just coincidence, a fortunate coincidence. And then, because the narcissist could just as easily have had a bad day. Their car got dinged in the parking lot. Their friend got the raise and the promotion and they didn't get it. Angry, angry, angry. You had that same good day. They will invalidate. They will criticize. Really? So it's all about alignment and timing. And that alignment is what makes people say, oh, we have such a great relationship. I'm like, it just sounds like We're luck. So it's like, we yeah. Have great chemistry. Yeah, it's like you thinking like roulette can be gamed. I'm like, it's you so got lucky funny. on the double zero there. It's so funny you say that. I mean, I'm going to start having flashbacks now and memories uh, like I did in the last interview where I remember a time for a few years, I had this dream of going to the Olympics mm, and, and making and making the USA Nat. First, it was making the USA national team, so I had the opportunity to go to the oh. Olympics. Right? When you said go to the Olympics, I'm like to watch. No. So you see, your dreams are up no, no. here. <laughs> this was 2008. 2008, I watched. Um, I had just gotten a I had surgery playing professional football, mm. broke my wrist, uh, had a cast on my arm from here to here for six months in this position just got it off and the Olympics came on. And so I was kind of down in the dumps because I couldn't train, I couldn't play football anymore. Mm -hmm. But I was watching the Olympics, getting inspired. 
and I see this sport at like 3 a.m. in the morning that I'd never seen before in my life called team handball. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not well known in the U.S., but mm -hmm. it's a big sport in Europe. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like water polo on land. On land, yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. with, with no water. And, um, and I watch this, and my mind is blown. I'm like, this is incredible. Like, this looks like the sport I should have learned growing up. Like, I'm built mm -hmm. for this. I'm the size. I got the speed. Like, this is my game. Mm -hmm. And it gave me this opening into a new possibility in my life, like, let me research this. Maybe there's a USA team. Maybe I could make the team. Maybe we could qualify for the Olympics. Mm. This is what happened mm -hmm. in about 10 minutes of watching this sport in 2008. 2010 rolls around. I moved to New York City to play for a team on Team Handball. Wow. The top team in the country. I moved, New York City's got the best team oh. and then the USA for the club teams. I moved there. Uh, to literally to go learn this sport mm. for a year. I meet a girl. Mm. And this girl, we have this, you know, kind of this, this chemistry, this connection, all these things in the first, like, month or whatever, right? But then I start to see the signs later, but I wasn't aware of it. And she knew that this was a part of my dream. Mm -hmm. And I've been training this whole year for this chance to make the USA national yeah. team. They'd select 16 Americans, wow. the whole population, to be on the USA national team. Wow. Been planning this for two years, training for a year, moved to a new state, new city, to practice every week. I get an email, and I'm with the, with the person mm -hmm. I was with at the time. I get an email that says, you've been selected to the USA national team. Congratulations. I'm kind of excited. I, I get a goosebumps thinking about it, right? I like this was something the email Amazing. I was waiting for. You've been selected. Mm -hmm. You're going to the Pan American Championships with the national team wow. to compete for our country. And I'm reading this. I'm literally like so vulnerable and in tears, like thinking about this when I'm reading it. And I was with her. She was in the other room and I take it to her. I'm like, you're not going to believe what happened. Look at this email. Amazing. I just got, I'm like so excited. And right away she goes, man, I wish my career was doing better right now. Oh. There was no congratulations. There was no nothing. It was like, God, I wish. It was, she went to a depression, kind of. Yeah, yeah. That's it, it was like a depression of like, oh, gosh, I wish I could do this with my career. I wish this was happening. And, uh, da, da, da. and so I put my attention on her to make sure she was okay. When I'm like, I've been dreaming about this for two years. I'm busting my eyes, like telling you about this in my mind. But I was like, well, let me just make sure her needs are met in this mm -hmm. moment. And I'll get back to celebrating me one day. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even an acknowledgement of like congratulations, mm. right? Um, anyways, this happened multiple times in many oh. relationships, uh, similar situations yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. which I didn't even know that was a sign, right? I was just oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah. know mm -hmm. until I talked to you whenever this was six mm -hmm. months ago or something. But how, you know, I don't even remember where I was going with this, but just I think like the good days, it's We're like they about, had a good talking day. Talking about alignment. Right. Yeah. But if they have mm -hmm. a bad day, mm -hmm. And you have a good day. They're going to kind of try to take you down. That's what you said, right? And your and your story is so interesting too, because who knows if she was having a bad day or not. What? But your your good news is always a threat to a narcissistic person. Why is that? Always. So you know, it's funny. Why is that? Because it it remember at the core of it, narcissism is about insecurity, deep deep insecurity. We always think of these people as having really big self-esteem. They have what we I can only call inaccurate self-esteem. They have this sort of falsely grandiose vision of themselves, but at this unprocessed, deep, unconscious level. It's not like they walk around thinking, I'm really insecure, so I better be grandiose. The insecurity is unprocessed. They're not even aware of They're it. They're not even aware of it. But 
it's almost like this nagging thing that's always in the background. So anything that activates that sense, like it's almost like it starts to percolate up out of the groundwater, that's when you'll see all kinds of things, passive aggression, which is what you were up against, um, uh, sullenness, resentment, um, sometimes overt aggression, because they're trying to, to protect themselves against the threat that this, that this insecurity will pop up. That's, that's the dance, right? So when I've worked with folks who are in narcissistic relationships, listen, people who have, who have been married a long time or in long-term relationships or have kids, it's not so easy to say, just break up and follow it's, your bliss. It just doesn't jarring. work that way. And so I'd say, okay, I'm going to have to give you some strategies to stay in this. And I always call it the good, bad, indifferent rule. Never, ever share, never, ever let the narcissistic person be the first person you share your good news with. Never. You should have called your bestest person at that point. Who's going to celebrate you. Who would have been like, oh my gosh, we all got him, right? Like the good thing happens and you're like, I got to tell this person. And they're like, oh my gosh, 20 bottles of champagne. We're having a party. That's who you tell first. Then you got your other people who are going to be happy for you. And then, and only then, do you tell the narcissistic person. Because at that point, you felt that your good news was held and cherished and celebrated, and you just feel happy. You shared it with people who were able to mirror it back to you, that feeling of goodness. That's what parenting is about, by the way. When your kid says, look, mommy, I got an A on my exam. Honey, that's so great. Not like, oh, I'm too busy to deal with that right now. And that's what kids who have narcissistic parents get a lot of, like, I don't have time for that right now, right? And success is never enough. It's never, yes, it's yes. never what enough. What else do I need to do to get the attention? Right. Yeah. But in adulthood, that mirroring matters. And then once you do that, and you roll up to the narcissistic person like, I wish my life was like that. In some ways, you've been so buoyed that it'd be like, you know what? Like, you don't even, you, at some point, you're like, whatever. You know, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, I hope it is too. You've I hope that works out for enough, you. You, know, you feel seen, yeah. good. You feel seen. Uh -huh. And that's the good. The bad, same thing. Never go to a narcissistic person first with your bad stuff. What happens, it could be, what happens when you share bad they'll news? They'll either feel inconvenienced frustrated, what do you want me to do about this? Um, oh my gosh, like, oh, I'm under, I, I, so many things are being asked of me, they go into their victim thing. Yeah, you figure it out. Yeah, yeah, you figure it out, like how, and you feel, let's say it's like really bad news, like I found out my mom is really sick, or I, um, you know, it turns out they're gonna be downsizing my division and I'm probably gonna be in that first round of layoffs or whatever it is. You know, you find out your friend is ill or you're ill or something more often than not the narcissistic person, it's almost like they don't want to hear that there's like real stuff that happens in the world that has nothing to do with them. Mm. Your mother being sick has nothing to do with them. So they're really not that interested. And that you might interrupt them and bring some like negative juju into their life, they don't want that. So I always say to people, have your people to take your bad news to so people can offer empathy, compassion, emotional support, practical support, and only as an afterthought will you say, because now you've been held, you've been supported, you might have the strength to say at some point, like, yeah, my mom's sick. And they're going to have whatever foolish, you know, unempathic response they have, but now you've been supported. So that takes us to the indifferent. And I tell everyone in a narcissistic relationship, keep it in your phone. Make a little list of completely vacuous topics. The weather. They're building a new house across the way. Mm -hmm. Can you believe that new grocery store is coming into town? Go back to the weather. Um, you avoid anything that's a third rail, that's a sensitive issue, that and or where their negativity 
could hurt you. Oh my so then you can kind of keep the trains running on time. Like, can you believe this heat? And it's great. I live out in the San Fernando Valley. So we always say, can you believe this heat? Can I, every, in fact, all the narcissistic people out there are going to know now. I think they're narcissistic because that's how I always start the <laughs> Can you believe this heat? But because there's nothing else to say. So what do you say with the narcissist then? What can you you're talk like, about? You're like, you've taken out almost everything you've can been you talking about. Can you believe this heat? But if you I mean, live with someone and you have kids with them and you have to interact. Procedural stuff. And I think that what happens is people want a real partner. They want someone to share st stuff with them. I'm like, you don't, you're never going to have that here. With an narcissist. You're never yeah. going to have it, so give it up. So you're just going to have to recognize. It might be things like, who's taking them to soccer today? And if they say, I'm too busy to take them to soccer, realistic expectations, of course they're too busy. Say, piece of cake, I got it. I always tell folks, if you're in a narcissistic relationship, you need to plan A, B, C, and D. Because they are always going to let you down. Oh my gosh. Okay, so you mentioned a little bit, moment ago about there are certain situations where you're not going to be able to get out of a relationship and follow your bliss. Yeah, no, you can't. Mm -mm. But is there a world where you could at some point, as opposed to saying, I've got to live for the next 30 years with this person or 10 years with this person, that sounds like a, uh, you know, a free prison sentence. You're in the free mm -hmm. world, but you're living a prison inside in your own home. That doesn't seem like a healthy lifestyle. It's not. Because I work with such varied audiences, I'm very, very mindful mm -hmm. of how painful it is for people to say, if you don't go, then. Now, I've said to them, if you don't go, there's limits to how far I can take you on this growth process because you're still constantly having this echoing voice that invalidates you and reminds you of that invalidation you know, in the next room. So there's only but, there's only so much, but there's still a lot of growth. I mean, your life almost becomes a series of silent acts of rebellion. You know, some people, literally, I know some folks told me, you know what, I was inspired by what you said, so I just went to an online university, and I got my degree, and I never told them. Wow. And I was like, and that like to me inner is victories. Yeah, inner like That's a triumph. It's like everything's a little mm -hmm. game for yourself to mm -hmm. like find your own joy. Correct. And they or they volunteer in their community. And what they recognize uh, is that the volunteering was joyful. Oh, yes. The narcissist would say to them, Why would you want to help a bunch of people who are too stupid to help themselves? They they if anything, they'll say their horrible negativity only reinforces that I'm totally right about them. I'm not wrong about this. I'm not a bad person for recognizing that they're toxic and I can go out and do something that fills my soul. But you're right. It's only a partial victory. Yes. Um, but if you yeah. can get out, get out. Right. Okay. So let me ask you this. So again, I know there are certain cultures and situations mm -hmm. and countries that probably have harder, uh, harder restrictions mm -hmm. of removing yourself. So, but it, okay. So let's, let's figure this out. It's going to be painful to stay in the marriage yeah. if there's with a narcissistic person. Mm -hmm. It's going to be extremely painful to leave for mm -hmm. potentially years mm -hmm. where you might have to find a whole new community, move, you know, build friendships and relationships mm -hmm. again, like be on your own, mm -hmm. all that stuff. But if there's light at the end of the tunnel when you leave, you know, three, five, seven years out, as opposed to being in the relationship for that time, mm -hmm. is that the better solution? You know, I, I don't, I think that here in... It's so hard to say because if you, somebody said to me, tell me the best solution, take away all the contextual factors, mm -hmm. it's obviously not to be in such a relationship. When we talk about how people manage themselves in these relationships, there's all these forms of contact you can have. And the most extreme is no contact, which means done. You block them, you cut them out, you don't speak to them, you don't take their calls, nada, nothing. And you know what? 
There's new, there's places I've actually seen the hard data on this. Everyone will say no contact. Awesome. Like I, I feel so much better now that they no longer exist in my life. But it's a really limited strategy. If it's your family member, if it's someone you co-parent with, it's somebody you might so still have professional contact with. So that's such an extreme that it might work like somebody, let's say someone dated someone and you don't have a ton of mutual friends and you move away physically, no contact can happen. And let me tell you, I've done no contact. Whew, it's good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Then there's low contact. Now, low contact can be done in a couple of different ways, but it tends to be, you know, what I'd say more perfunctory. You don't really engage with them. It's just really like just sort of, if, let's say it's a family member. You've decided like, okay, this person's so bad for me. I want nothing to do with them, but your beloved cousin's getting married. You may just you say to beloved cousin, just whatever the opposite side of the room for seating me is, I'd appreciate it. Maybe they come and talk to you and you give them very simple Yes, no, kids are great responses. You go to the bathroom a lot when they approach you. People are going to think you have some sort of digestive problem, but it's a great out. But you step away, and if it gets to be too much, you give yourself permission to leave. So it is, you know, low contact doesn't mean like you, they come to you and you don't speak to them. You might say, oh, hi, yeah, mm-hmm, kids are great, yeah, mm-hmm, it's been a long time. Yeah, I, I actually got to run to the restroom. Right. It's one of those. And so, or I got, I got to run, I've got to call or whatever. So... You find your ways to maintain, and then you won't have contact with them maybe for 10 more years until there's another wedding or funeral or something like that. So that's more of the low contact. And, you know, and then there's all these techniques like gray rock and yellow rock, like all these techniques to figure out ways to communicate. But the tool I give people, and I think maybe I talked about this last time, I don't remember, but it's something I call don't go deep with them, uh, which means don't defend, don't engage, don't explain, and don't personalize. And I, it's a mantra, like don't defend, don't engage, don't explain, don't personalize, deep. What happens if you do any of those? If four? you defend, you're going to get in the mud with them and they like it and you get dirty. So that doesn't make sense. So you don't want to, if you defend, it's just going to escalate and gaslight and fight. And, and there's no point because you're not going to end in any kind of sane, rational place. When you explain, they will definitely gaslight you. So there's no point to that. Engaging means don't get into a conversation with them. Do not ask them what they think of something. Do not tell them that good news. And don't personalize, this isn't about you. They do this to anyone in your position. They're going to manipulate. It's what they do. And so they're going to lie. They're going to gaslight. It's just how their personalities are organized. It's not about you. There's nothing you can do to change this. Not you, not me, not anybody. And so that's the, it's a really fun, it, and that's what we call radical acceptance. And nothing you can do. Oh, man, so <laughs> I won't. It ain't going to change, and that's not because... And a lot of people say, well, it's not going to change because I'm not enough. Uh -huh. It's not going to change because it's not going to change. No one's ever enough for mm -hmm. them. So, okay, let me ask you a practical question. There's different stages of being in a relationship, right? You meet someone, you go mm -hmm. on a date with them. That's a, a certain stage of a relationship. You date for weeks, months, however long, before you say we're going to be committed or exclusive mm -hmm. with each other, right? Then there's a, you know, a marriage commitment mm -hmm. and that type of relationship. What would be, in your mind, the key things that an individual would, should really focus on seeing or experiencing from the person that they want to date before they say, I want to get committed and exclusive with you? Not before mm -hmm. marriage, but mm -hmm. just, okay, I feel comfortable enough to be an exclusive, mm -hmm. committed relationship with you. What are those key things you would need to see or experience to make sure you feel comfortable taking that step. 
watch how they respond to stress or frustration. If you only had one thing you can do, it's that. Because that's the test, right? Do they start, do they become really dysregulated, impulsive, say really awful things, and then, oh, I, you know, I was just really stressed out, you know? Nah. Because if they did it there, always they're always that. going to do that because they're on their best behavior in this early dating relationship. They'll do it worse in the future. You know, yeah. how are they handling themselves in a, in a traffic jam? How do they handle themselves when you get to the restaurant and they say, oh, we've lost your reservation? You know, because you really are looking for the person who says, you know what, you up for fast food? Because there's a place across the street. Mm -hmm. And you know what, it could be the dinner where you fall in love with that person over your, you know, over your French cheeseburgers. French fries and burger, yeah. Exactly. And so, but if that person makes it, do you know who I am? Oh, let me tell you, Yelp review, blah, blah, blah. You're going to be sorry, blah, blah, blah. No, I mean, and I think those, those situations manifest pretty early on. And the trick is because everything else is sort of new and sparkly and fun. People want to say, oh, they just had a bad day. Range Rover Sport leads by example. Picture this, assertive on-road performance meets commanding all-terrain capability. That's the third generation Range Rover Sport, which is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet. This vehicle redefines sporting luxury, offering an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure. Now available in sleek, new stealth pack, Carpathian gray exterior wrapped in satin protective film with black accents and black brake caliper. Inside the Range Rover Sport, advanced cabin technologies like active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offer new levels of comfort and refinement. And let's not forget about the award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment system. Enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Wow, that's like a spa day while on the go. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. Like when you're trying to buy tickets for the best seat at your favorite team's big game or when you're hiring for your business and you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. With ZipRecruiter, you can find qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I believe finding the right team member is one of the most important steps in setting up my company for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I am grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help when we want to grow the team fast. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. They have bad days all the time. That, I would say yeah, that's yeah. your, especially that early in the game, mm. that's First your good, few months. a runaway kind of like, kind of, or not even runaway to say, yeah, just sort of slowly start distancing. Some people need to see two of those events. Okay. So right. great. There's your, you'll get your second soon enough. And so I would say that's a really, that's a big one. Um, I think other things you want to look at are things like are, are around equity, equitability, and balance in the relationship. 
How often are you knocking yourself out for them? So in other words, you're shaping your schedule to them. You're shaping your preferences to them. You're giving up things for them. And yet they still make it sound like you you give up maybe, a, I don't know, you're, you're invited to a, a old friend's birthday party. And it's going to be a girl's night out. And they doubt your commitment like, oh, really, it's your friends instead of me. And then you end up canceling on the friends and you go out with them and they'll say, isn't this so much more fun? So they make it seem like your sacrifice was actually good for you. That's something else you could see oh my gosh, early yeah. in the game. You know, and especially narcissistic people do tend to like to control the narrative. So they will, there will be some isolating happening. If you feel that you're not you, you don't feel comfortable saying, I'm going to go see my friends or, you know, this is a, I, I want to spend time alone with my sister or something like that. And they pathologize that, especially when it's early. This is sort of a, a process for you. And if they're trying to annex all of your time, that's a sign too that you need to pay attention yeah, to. Yeah, if they're trying to take you from your friends and family. But it, sometimes it's not even that <clears throat> obvious. It's, it's more of a, why am I, why can't I come? Um, or they doubt your commitment. And so it's not as like, you're not seeing your friends. It's, you know, you spend a lot of time with your friends. Like, you know, maybe maybe this just isn't the right time in your life for a relationship. Wow. I get that. I got that. So they play that game. And then you're thinking, no, I'm kind of really into this person. So they're not angry at you, but no, they're doing they it in a covert you. way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. no, doubt, they doubt your commitment. And because people want to prove their commitment, right? And they know I'm really committed to this. Okay, you know, it just I find it interesting that on a Saturday night, that's what you chose, even though you've told them weeks ago, and then you give in. So look out for those two things. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because I'm a, uh, you know, in, in my, <laughs> every time you say something like this, I'm reminded of the past of like, okay, all these stressful situations. But um, uh, with Martha, I talk a lot about Martha on the show because she's been amazing for me. But I, with Martha, we, we had an experience where we went on a trip within mm -hmm. the first like month, right, mm -hmm. of kind of knowing each other and dating. And we were supposed to go to Vegas. Um, and we had flights booked, but for whatever reason, all the flights that day like got canceled mm. and we couldn't get there for like the event. We are going to see an event until like the next morning on the flight and we were going to miss it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm coming to her, kind of bringing some, a little bit of this PTSD yeah, yeah, remnants yeah. of like, hope she's going to be okay, you know, is she going to be upset, this flight's mm -hmm. this. And I bring in and say, hey, the flights are not, you know, happening. We could try to take a later flight, um, but we may not make it in time for the event. What do you want to do? Let's just drive. Yeah, that, I was like, going to say, if this girl's like, got it going on, she would always drive. Oh, yeah. it's no worries. Like, yeah. let's just drive. Mm -hmm. Where I was so used to people being like, well, I need mm -hmm. first class and I needed mm -hmm. this. And, I, you know, this kind of like, don't you know who I am type of mentality. Yeah. She was like, well, let's just, you want to drive? Mm -hmm. Kind of like fun with it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh, you sure you're okay with that? And mm -hmm. she was like, yeah, let's go. And I was like, mm -hmm. cool, let's jump. So we jumped, we just grabbed our bags, we packed, we mm -hmm. went in and we drove. And it had the most incredible five hour drive. There was traffic and it was. On a Friday night, and it was like whatever stressful, but we had so much fun. Mm -hmm. I was like, "This girl's got something. Yep. You know? mm -hmm. She got something going on." And it's and I think when you travel with someone, you can see yeah, yeah, these yeah. stressful yes. experiences. Yes, I do agree that if you travel with someone, you can see a lot, and that's what I'm saying. That stress can come out there too. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's it's almost a way to create a living lab and create, uh, set up a trip in the first three months of the relationship. It doesn't have to be elaborate. It could be yeah. something as quick yeah, as Vegas. Trip or something, it could yeah. be a weekend trip. It doesn't have to be like two weeks somewhere. Mm -hmm. Watch how they do. Because I will tell you, 
that's the test. Somebody who can be chill while they travel, done. That's that's one of it's almost like a final exam really? of the Before early you get part committed. of the relationship. Yeah. yeah. Before you exclusively commit. Yeah. And again, for people to know this doesn't mean you have to have air tickets and this. It could really yeah. be like a road trip, it could be a camping trip, mm -hmm. it could be any number of things, but like a few days where it's really just you and them and there's because when you travel inevitably it's something right and to watch how you manage that it's a great test because if it's a narcissistic person if everything isn't just so perfect and the thing is you got to watch how they they gaslight try to gaslight it away if you start getting a little leery on mm, this is not okay they're going to make it into don't you understand i wanted to make it perfect for you okay i just wanted it to be a great trip you know and and so because if, if you might be pushing back and saying you know the way you were acting under stressor i just I'm trying to make it right for you and now you're feeling so guilty because they were trying to make it right for you so i will tell folks this if you're noticing there's some of those early patterns and you decide to distance from this relationship because it feels like there's some red flags don't tell them the why really yeah this ain't you what you, you ain't you their why? teacher their life coach oh. you're just, you're trying to get out of this relationship because if you tell them the why they're going to gaslight you they're going to say, well, I was stressed. I was, or this, stressed. Or I was trying to be, do something nice for you. You're being you're too particular. Yeah. You're unappreciative. Exactly. You're sensing a red flag. You can make it about yourself and say, yeah, you know, whatever your reasons are, I, I think work's getting to be a lot for me, or maybe this isn't the right time for me to have a relationship. And people say, well, Dr. Romani, isn't that a missed opportunity? No, they ain't listening to you. <laughs> So it really, they're, they're, if you say to them, this is why, it'll be Gaslight City and you're going to stay in it. Because I think people feel like, well, I need to tell them and maybe they'll improve. They're not going to improve. That's the radical existence. Right. What about if, what if someone feels just stuck in a relationship? Maybe there's narcissistic tendencies, maybe not, but mm. they feel stuck in a mm -hmm. relationship. Um, what's a good conversation that someone should have with their partner to evaluate where it's at and how they can get unstuck. Whether there's narcissism or not, what's mm -hmm. just your, yeah. what's your opinions on that? I mean, that? It's, a different, it's, an, it's a different scenario, right? Because I think yeah. in, a, in a narcissistic relationship, you're working for survival, right? So you may not even, I, I have to tell you, people in narcissistic relationships may not initially feel stuck. They may be like, okay, it's, it's like the MacGyver of relationship situations. Like, what kind of duct tape do I need to <laughs> use everything, to fix right, yeah. this thing, right? So you're doing, doing, doing. Where people feel stuck in a narcissistic relationship is when they get in too deep. Share a place, kids, marriage. That, that's where the stuckness happens because I think by and large, and then, and then honestly, there's one big interesting thing with narcissistic relationships is the fear that the narcissist is going to change for the next person. Oh, because there's a lot of stuff they like about that person. Like I'm, they're really attracted to them. They have great sex with them. They, they have, they're they're yeah. charismatic. They have shared interests. People love them. They've got a really amazing career, they're job, talented. status, whatever. Whatever it may be, there's a lot of magnetic qualities. And so that idea that the new person is going to get, you know, Mr. Magnetic is actually really overwhelming. But in the sense of stuckness, it's, a, it's an interesting issue, and it's something I've encountered even with couples I've done therapy with. And it's, you know, listen, there's, there is the, uh, you know, there's sort of the kind of the standard advice around, like, how do, you, how do you start dating again in this relationship? How do you keep that piece of it alive? How do you keep giving it some level of priority status? How do you, 
make sure you do communicate, make the time. Like part of that is, I mean, mindfulness has such an important role in human relationships, not just intimate relationships, all relationships. Everybody's talking about mindfulness, mindfulness, mindfulness. It means paying attention to what's in front of you. And that means that it's, it's, it can be the littlest things about, oh my gosh, that's right, he had an appointment, he had a meeting at two. You text him at three, like, hey, how did that meeting go? I was just thinking of you. That stuff mm-hmm. becomes the stuff of the relationship. And then saying, hey, you had a tough one today. Let's cook this, go here, pop the champagne. It's that idea that someone's noticing you. So put mindfulness can be one piece of the stuckness. The other is, what's, do you have shared vision? I mean, we talk about this in the workplace all the time. But is that there? Because it's, it does, and that doesn't even mean there's something wrong with someone if they don't have shared vision. But sometimes if you don't have that, that can contribute to the stuckness because you're not working towards a common goal, right? If you have a company and one person's like, I want to sell lots of hand lotion, and the other person's like, I really envision us as being a salsa company, you're going to be stuck. Right, right, right. Right? Someone's chopping tomatoes. Someone's like putting on all this lotion. You're like, so you're going to be stuck. So it's the salsa hand lotion of it all. Like one of you may be wanting to work towards family and children. The other one wants to travel the world. Both people are afraid to talk about it. And so how do you get unstuck? You actually go to the edge of the cliff mm. and recognize that if you open up and they go, because that's the fear, that fear of abandonment, that fear of being alone, that fear of loss, that if you can go to the edge of the cliff and say, this is actually what I want and can tolerate that early in the game, especially if you don't have stuff like kids and commitments and all of that, where you spoke in your truth and they can say, that's not what I want and not personalize it. Because as kids, it's, the, it's almost like the equivalent of bringing our picture to our parents and say, look what I drew and the parent not caring. Or even worse, the parents say, you're not my kid anymore because that's a bad truth. Oh my God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And so the idea that we could bring our truth to someone and they'd say, yeah, no, that's not what I want. It's, it starts becoming the sunk cost fallacy, which kills most relationships, yeah. right? That's the idea of I've already put all this resource into something. Time, that's energy. how people get stuck they is do. the sunk cost fallacy. Oh. And you've got to remember, behavioral economics often does have some of these answers. The, you've already put the money in. You've got a human experience. Don't put more into this. And so then you have the conversation. And I've actually seen some people have beautiful ends to their relationship where they say, I, you know, I still have I, this. I'm not ready for X or Y. I don't want to do X or Y. That's not the direction I want to go in. And they manage to salvage friendships and genuine curiosity in each other. And then that, and then that's that. Yeah. But th- it's scary. It takes scary. a lot of courage for yes, someone to end a relationship, yes, it, no but, matter what type of you know. And I wouldn't even say it's ended. I think it, it takes transition. a lot of courage to speak your truth 100%, in a relationship. 100%. It's not even the ending. It's saying what I want in this relationship is I want us to set. I want to have kids. I want to live. I want to move out of the city. I want to put our focus there. And the other person might say, I don't want those things. And that's when you say, okay, then we're on very different paths. But it's so easy for me to sit here in a studio and intellectually say this. I'm, let's say I'm a 39-year-old woman. That's not the, what then? Right. What then? 
Yeah. You know, now you're thinking, oh my God, I, have to, I want a child. This is this is what's in front of me. But I'm good. And then they start doing the math. And then me. How and many then years? Day, this, da, da, yeah. da, da, now I'm 42. I want to find da, someone. Da, yeah. Is there you someone know, better than this? Yeah, all these things. It's, and it's not even like, or not even better as much as somebody who's more on my path. Aligned. This is how it happens because we do forget that there is a sort of a biological piece to all of this. I mean, reproductive technology is changing that. And some women out there, and I, women close to me have said, you know what? I want the kid. I'm not so sure I want the relationship. And should I fall in love with someone? I don't want to fight with them for, over custody. So women are having their own children without a partner and saying, I now, now motherhood's out of the game. It's actually easier to date. And now I'm going to meet a man. Either he wants a woman with a child or he doesn't. If he doesn't, he's not my guy. Right. But I'll never have to fight this guy for custody of this kid. It's a new world. And people who are making allowances mm -hmm. for not wanting to get stuck in toxic relationships are going different path. And I know men who have done that too. Men who have gotten surrogates and said, I want to be really? a father. Without the... They, no, they look, they find, a, they find this, I'm going to get donor, an egg, egg donor. donor eggs. They get donor eggs and they, they, find they find surrogates. And they're like, I want to be a... Being a father to me was foremost. Wow. If I meet and fall in love with someone, super. But I want to be a father. It's not cheap, though. So these are very privileged yes, yes, yes. folks who can do this. But the fact is that there are paths forward mm -hmm. in a way. And I think that the amount of damage, Lewis, that people being raised in toxic relationships, having witnessed toxic relationships, may be one of the biggest psychological crises that most people bring into adulthood. So I think making it's different how we choices, were raised, how we were raised. Yes, and yeah. not breaking the cycle. We have and crappy not, blueprints. Very crappy. I have this, uh, I don't know if I want to call it a formula, but just some steps that I've been developing through my own healing journey and reflection of previous relationships and, and now being in a very, I would call, conscious, healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. I would love for you to either pick apart or validate or add to or whatever you want to these kind of steps that I've been putting together myself that I think have helped me in this mm -hmm. transition um, towards what to create when stepping into a new relationship. The first one is for a conscious, healthy relationship. The first one is you working on your healing journey mm -hmm. before you mm -hmm. get into it. Yeah. Or if you're into it, start it while you start the relationship mm -hmm. being in a healthy, focusing on a whole healthy mm -hmm. body, mind, spirit, and soul. Healing the past and being mm -hmm. on that journey. Step mm -hmm. one. Without that, I feel like it's not a strong yeah. foundation, right? Because you're going to be more susceptible. Step two is, I don't know if this, for me, feel free to pick a hole at this. Step two would be to do the love language test with the person you're dating and to see if you're in alignment with the way you receive and give love mm -hmm. naturally. Mm -hmm. um, I think in previous relationships, I, for whatever reason, I chose women that didn't receive the love that I naturally gave. They liked acts of service and gifts. Or I was like, I don't care about giving someone a gift because it doesn't. it's not value mm -hmm. for me. I like... Praising someone and touching mm, someone. Words of affirmation. Yeah, guy. and touching Same them and, and touch. giving affection mm -hmm. and telling them how much you know, I appreciate them. Like, mm -hmm. But they wanted the gift to feel loved because that was their mm -hmm. blueprint. So I was always doing something that was more work for someone mm -hmm. to feel loved. Mm -hmm. And in the current relationship, we have like identical love languages oh, that's nice. in order. Mm -hmm. So we both naturally show up who we are and feel loved by the okay. other person. Mm -hmm. So it's just less friction. Mm -hmm. I don't have to think, I need to buy a gift or I need to do this every right. week right. that I normally wouldn't want mm -hmm. to do. So that's number two. Number three, four, and five is getting clear 
with your honest truth about your values, your vision, and your lifestyle. Yeah. Kind of like what you were saying. Like mm -hmm. if you're... If your values are out of alignment, it's going to be challenging. If your vision is, you know, I want to make hot sauce and you want to make shoes, you know, we have a different shared vision of our relationship. And if you want to live in the city and I want to live in the country with the lifestyle, there's going to be some friction there. Um, number number six, uh, for me, this is this was a non-negotiable entering this current mm -hmm. relationship. Maybe this is too tough, but for me, I was like, we need to enter a relationship in therapy. And start right. the relationship in therapy right. so that we can communicate in a conscious way with a third party about agreements. Mm -hmm. You know, there's going to be things that come up. There's no perfect relationship. You're going to have a different lifestyle, this and this. But can we create agreements together so there's alignment on our communication, mm -hmm. our agreements, to just minimize some friction. Mm -hmm. Not have expectations, but get clear on agreements mm -hmm. and a standard we both have. And then with that, going through those first six things... Mm -hmm. Choosing to fully accept the person for who they are mm -hmm. once you've gotten clear on all these things over right. a period of time. Saying, okay, I, I'm not expecting you to change into a potential in the future, mm -hmm. but do I accept who you are from your right. values, your vision, your lifestyle, right. your, your healing journey? We're doing therapy together. Um, can I accept this person? Mm -hmm. My girlfriend, she's an actress, so mm -hmm. she does movies. She's on set. She's kissed guys on movies in the past, mm -hmm. and maybe she will in the future. I had to be like, do I accept this yeah, is who yeah, she yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or am mm -hmm. I going to need to change her and say, you can't do this anymore? Correct, correct. So I said, I fully accept you, mm -hmm. you know. And, um, and this process has been very powerful for us. I'm sure yeah. from my personal yeah. experience, what's worked for me. Uh, is there anything that you would poke a hole in or add or remove from these kind of seven things that I've been, you know, kind of playing with myself? So it's almost like I'd make a step zero. Okay, right? give it to me. And a step zero is addressing legacy issues and your own traumas and all of that right because this the word healing is so ephemeral and it's so sort of non-specific but when i think of hundreds probably now thousands of people whose narcissistic abuse in, in intimate relationship stories i've heard it was a they went into the relationship and actually, I take that back because some folks enter this relationship confident as can be. It's not like they entered in, in, in deficit territory. But it was for a lot of people, for many people, their own backstory shaped what they thought they even deserved in a relationship. And I will tell you this, and that part of that step zero is how do you reconcile yourself with societal messages? You had said something earlier that made me think about this too, which is this idea of the romance and how we view relationships early on. We're very programmed. Whether we like to think that we are or we're not, we can, you know, everyone brings up the Disney movies, but it's beyond Disney movies. It's about what a love story is supposed to look like, what a, at least a heteronormative relationship is supposed to look like. Um, you know, we have these... And this is where we get this idea of a gift. Like, what do you, how many people say, you mean he didn't give you anything for Valentine's right. Day? And I've yeah, had to yeah. say that, and I'm in a relationship, but I said, if he brought home something home for Valentine's Day, I would slap that man silly because I think, what are you wasting your money for, a fool? But the day after the candy's off 50%, so you're welcome to go to CVS <laughs> and grab me yeah, a box, yeah, honey. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success. 
so you can pursue your goals, knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've learned the hard way that constantly holding on to your emotions and repeatedly choosing to not talk about your feelings will only make you feel worse and worse. And up until about 10 or 11 years ago, I was afraid to talk about my trauma that I experienced. And I know we all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. But therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to fit your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Lewis today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash L-E-W-I-S. So it's <laughs> a... Because your value was something different. Right, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And, and so it's that... But, but beyond that is that I, we get this message of what it's supposed to be. And when it's not that, we think, well, there's got to be something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that it's a, it's, there's, some, there's some pushing back on existing sort of societal messaging. There is being aware of one's own legacy issues. What are you trying to work through? One's own history of trauma and those kinds of adverse experiences from early in life. To me, those are sort of like the step zero before the step one. So being aware of those things, talking to your partner about them Mm, or just being aware? No, I think that's the word. Step zero is almost like before you ever meet any partner. And and part of me is thinking, you know, the healing journey is being aware of those things, addressing them, you know, reflecting Mm -hmm. on them, and then starting to integrate it, some type of therapeutic healing process. And then I think that the other thing I'd say is the the. going back to that societal message, is the abyss of it all. Like, I think a lot of people would hear a list like that and be like, homie, you're high. Like, if I do this, I am going to be alone for the rest of my damn life. But I was willing to do that. You were. And because I, I had felt yes. so much suffering inside from the yes. pain. I was like, I'd rather be alone with a cat and dog. Correct. Be peaceful. Right. Than be in a relationship where I have to, you know, give up who I am every right. day and right. walk on eggshells. But that means that people have to understand that giving up who I am means that they value the who I am. That that's actually something to give up, right. and I think that what what I'll, I wish this happened in school, I wish that a significant part of the curriculum was on the who am I, what am I about, what do I stand for, what matters to me, what are my values. I got a I got a text from my daughter two days ago. She's in in, in college right now, still trying to figure out her major, and she texts me and she's like, Mom. I've decided I'm going to pursue a career in the arts. And I, I, I text her back, like, that is absolutely magnificent. And she texts me back, said no mother ever. Do you realize that I'm probably never going to have a lot of money? I said, girl, I've been broke since I was 50. Mm-hmm. So I said, and I wasn't happy. So I said, if you wake up every day excited about what you do, you're good. And so what my daughter was doing was she was unfurling herself in front of me. Now inside, am I thinking like, you know, rice and beans in your studio life. apartment. <laughs> okay, yeah, you could do that. You could do that. That's all. But you know what? If you're doing what you love, that rice and beans in that studio apartment is going to be a-okay. It's going to feel like a filet and mignon, she's you know. loved. You know, that this is not like, how dare you take this expensive education? You are loved, and I want you to be you, and I want you to find your path. 
you know, that's definitely not how I was parented, you know, and that's um, not how Listen, a lot of people were You're parented. loved if you do what we tell you you're to do. You're loved if the word doctor is in front of your name. They're like, I don't care what damn way you get to now, that, you're going to be a doctor. Here's honey. the funny thing. You, the doctor's in front of your name. Do you feel loved or did you feel loved after you got that accomplishment? Um, no, and I think I became the wrong kind of doctor. I think they had the whole MD thing in mind. Sure, sure. But, you know, I also understood where they came from. As immigrants at the, in the generation they came, they really did believe. They said, no one in this country is going to take you seriously, you know, so the, when they look at your face. So they said, at least with the doctor, you're going to get a little respect when they say your name. So I'm like, okay, I could work with that. But the fact is, I did think like, oh, they're going to love me more if I do this. No, they had their own story. But yes. I think that for, and in, in bringing in my daughter, is like she's trying to figure out who she is. Who are you? What do you stand for? And that that idea, what are your personal values? Like we, I, I do leadership training with folks and you actually, they actually take a values deck of cards and you realize like, whereas you're, you're, if you and I did that extra, we should do that one. We should have that episode. I should bring in my values bring card. Bring them in. Let's do that. Okay. For sure. I'm going to bring them in and we're both going to do it. Mm -hmm. And then I think you put your top 15 and you take a look at them. Right. And so Ours are going to be completely different. Mm -hmm. And yet, we're, I, I adore you. You're yeah, a friend yeah. of mine, all of that. But we'll have very, and you know what? Uh -huh. I'm going to get your own deck, take it home, do it with Martha. Well, it's funny you say that because before we got committed, <laughs> and maybe you think I'm high because these, these things were like important for me because mm -hmm. I was like, I'd rather scare her away from being intentional about my communication and my values and my vision and who I am or, or what I want to create in this world than attract someone on a false foundation. So I want to push back on your language there. Mm -hmm. I want to scare her away. How interesting that you still Not view scare that. her away, but make sure that we're the right match. Right, but it, you're, you're, but let's language matters. Sure. I'm going to scare her sure. away. The real Lewis is scary. Is sort of that, and that right, right, she, right, you know right. that's sort of there's a certain ingrained assumption that sure. if I'm me, that is going to scare her rather mm -hmm. than simply. I'm going to show her the real me, True. and let's see if that's a fit. So I hear some I like unconscious that. I like bias that. within no, I like you that. towards I like that. that. I like that. I'll start correcting myself. That's good. Um, so I wanted to share her with the, the real me mm -hmm. and be mm -hmm. honest about all these things that I wanted mm -hmm. to create in my life unapologetically. Mm -hmm. Let's say that. I wanted to be unapologetic about what I wanted to create. Mm -hmm. And so before we got together, you know, got into an, a committed, exclusive, uh, you know, dating experience, we had we had had an amazing few months already, mm -hmm. like so many trips and mm -hmm. things, and it was just like peaceful, right? Mm -hmm. And so, I took her to Sedona, and I took her up a a, a vortex, right, mm -hmm. like this kind of little mountain vortex in Sedona, and I had uh, a workbook for mm -hmm. us, a journal. I gave it to her. I put some music on, and I said, "Listen, I want to do a values exercise with mm, you." Good for you. So it was kind of like the value deck, but I mm -hmm. said, "I want you." I put some music on, some gentle music. We're up. The sun is setting. Mm -hmm. We're on this energy vortex. I said, "I want you to be so honest and authentic with what your core values mm -hmm. are, and list as many things that are part of your values in your life." You know, and I take five, ten minutes. Right? I'm not going to look at it. I'm not going to. Uh, you know, you do your thing. Mm -hmm. I do that. She writes it. I. Then I, I said, give me a blank piece of paper, and I take it, and I do the same exercise. And I said, now I want us to look mm -hmm. at them side by side without a bias, mm -hmm. without me seeing it first and then me writing down the same things because I want you to think I have the same values. Are we in alignment? Mm -hmm. you know, is there alignment? Not perfection. Is there alignment? Sure. And 80% of the things we wrote down were the same, mm -hmm. right? And the 20% that was different, it was like, okay, cool, that's... Nothing against that here and nothing against mm -hmm. here. 
and it felt just more organic, right? Mm -hmm. It felt because we were honest about it. Right. I don't think there were many relationships in the past where I talked about values and vision and lifestyle right. until it was too late. Correct. When Correct. we're, when we're breaking down yes. and it's like there's frustration right. and we're like, what are we doing? Right. But we've already chemically bonded and we've already like gotten mm -hmm. deeper into a commitment. And you're like, well, we just lacked the, I guess, emotional courage or intelligence to have those conversations early. And I just don't think a lot of people live their lives from that examined standpoint. Yeah. Like, what are my values? What do I stand for? And people are like, what do you mean, what do I stand for? I, I can't afford gas, you know? And right. so that, and I understand surviving. that, yeah. right? I'm surviving. You are surviving, but there are certain things you that you're willing to fight, really, really fight for and be and that you actually do need in your life. For some people, for example, spirituality may really matter. You cannot minimize that. And if a person for whom no. spirituality matters enters into a relationship for someone who doesn't, it's not an indictment of either of them, but that may not be a, a language they can use with each other, which might leave both of them frustrated. But there's, uh, there, and there's some things that we, you're not gonna fully map on to someone else. Someone may say, I'm very comfortable with your spiritual world. I'm some, simply not gonna participate in it. And then that will work. And they'll say, "There's a, I can see how joyful it makes you. But what the, the struggle here, though, the main sort of pushback I'm going to have on your list is me. your list is predicated on two healthy people. That's why step one is both need to be healing. Yeah. And so and both need to be in a therapeutic yeah. journey together. Mm -hmm. That's why for me, it's if one person is working on their healing mm -hmm. journey and doing some type of therapy right. consistently with accountability and emotional intelligence and integrating that process mm -hmm. and the other is not, I feel like it's going to be challenging. That's I why think I was it's like, going to be impossible. That's why I said enter the relationship in therapy, which yeah. again, this is maybe hard for people to do. And I think it's great to enter a relationship in therapy. It's just not a typical third date activity. Hey, I get it. instead of going out for drinks, you want to come to therapy? <laughs> this is after a few months. You you know? Know? This is after but a few even months, but still, I, I do it. think that there's some, there's some, there's mm -hmm. a business for me to open, like third date therapy. But you here's know? the thing. What's the alternative? Um, Getting in a relationship where 50% you know, get go through divorce within however many years, and then right. and then those that stay together more unhappy, and then you're mm -hmm. suffering, and you're feeling mm -hmm. trapped, and you feel stuck, and it seems like very few in their first marriage mm -hmm. make you know create a peaceful, thriving life with you know challenges and bumps along the way, but it just seems like it's rare. And so, right. if you want that, if you want a healthy, thriving, long-term committed relationship, not perfect, but mm -hmm. a healthy one, I mean. I feel like it's rare. You, you got to do the, ex the extreme or the different things that people have never done. I don't know. Right, but you also have to value yourself. And that's mm. the work, right? Is for a person yes. to be able to say, I am valuable. And yes. once, if a person can get there, all relationships in some ways are, have a, a fighting chance. Not toxic ones, but because they do value themselves. So they're willing to set a boundary. They're willing to extract from unhealthy situations. They're, they are they're mindful and aware of what another person, you know, they're self-aware. They're they able to, and also aware of another person and, and can make judgments and statements and all of that about the, you know, in, in an informed, aware manner. And then above mm -hmm. all else, they have empathy, right? And either you got it or you don't. And in the absence of empathy, your whole, your whole system goes away. Right. You, without that, this, this doesn't empathy, work. Compassion, empathy, yeah. And, and I think that there is, you know, I think that a lot of people right now in the world are engaging in pseudo-healing. And I think it's just narcissistic navel-gazing, and they're actually not really healing. What does that mean, pseudo-healing? I think it's that they're, they're, they're doing whatever they're doing. Like, I meditate 75 times a day, and I yeah, do yeah. mindfulness this, and I ayahuasca that, and blah, 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 blah. And they do all of that. 
but they're still really going through the world in a rather monstrous, entitled, dismissive, contemptuous way. But it's sort of like, you know, what I call healing porn or recovery porn. Like, look at my recovery. I'm so recovery-ish. It's like a spiritual bypass. Exactly. It's a spiritual bypass. And that that gives me pause. So you can't mm. even just say, oh, they're doing mm. all this work on themselves. So I don't care how much work they're doing on themselves. How Watch are they showing their up? behavior. Exactly. Yeah, how are you showing up? What's mm -hmm. your thoughts on plant medicine as a professional, you know, in terms of a... A therapy so in terms of helping people heal. Right. Is you know, it, I'm always very, I, well, I tread so lightly here because as a licensed person, I always have to recognize that my 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 feedback will always carry weight. I am not I, I'm not an MD, so I can't prescribe medication. I do believe this, though. What's happening in plant medicine, what's happening in the psychedelic world, is the future of, of really? psychiatry. I do. I think that there's things happening there. Um, so the early clinical trials on MDMA and, um, and PTSD, we're seeing some really extraordinary things starting mm. to happen. Interesting. And I'm enough of a cynic, and I don't know, maybe I look like I have a tinfoil hat right on right now, but I do believe Big Pharma doesn't want this to happen because mm -hmm. I think that... There, there may be a lot of answers lurking there, but folks, this is not about you going home and going to a rave and and doing some MDMA and saying, oh, I'm treating myself for PTSD. No, 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 no. The treatment protocols for this have to be done with licensed people in controlled settings. Therapy is happening while the person is using the psychedelic. This is under the most, it has to be done under the most mm. clear formatted protocol. So this isn't yeah. just like, party drug time and look at me, I'm treating myself. This is not self-medication. It's none of that. This is highly controlled. The dosages are controlled. But I do think there's a tremendous future there. I would be, it would be arrogant for mm. me to, to say otherwise. And I, when I've talked with folks doing this kind of work, it's, it's impressive what they're showing. I'd like to see more data. I, you know, I'm not, when it comes to what I do from a practice perspective, for example, I can't say to someone, you need to be on Zoloft. I have to say, I'm going to give you a referral to a psychiatrist. You will work with that psychiatrist, and they will make whatever medication recommendation they have for you. But I can't, the way my license works, make clear recommendations. So if a client of mine says, I want to explore this, I'll say, if you do, we just simply need to make sure you're doing it with a licensed, um, you know, so somebody who's doing this in a very legitimized, thoughtful kind of a way. Yeah, I have a... I feel like I, I feel like I have an open mind to a lot of things, but for whatever reason, I've, I'm going to be intentional with my words here. Mm -hmm. um, I've met a lot of people. I have a lot of friends who've mm -hmm. done a lots of different, mm -hmm. you know, ayahuasca and plant medicine mm -hmm. journeys and experiences mm -hmm. and retreats and all these things that swear by it, right? Yeah. And people I respect, people mm -hmm. that I love and I appreciate, and nothing wrong with it. Um. But years down the road, I don't, I don't, I don't see it having like the the healing effect that Correct. I'm like, okay, well, you keep going to doing it, and right. and but where is the the pro the progress? There's like a week or two of this yes. euphoria, yes, you know, but then you're you're still struggling in your relate, you're still no. being a bit a bad per, you're still, you know, and it's not for everyone that does this that I know, but I've just right. I've experienced that where people swear by it as this euphoria experience, but then six months later they're suffering again. Right, it's the then there's the bypass though, right? Because the work, 
And, and I, I've worked with narcissistic clients, Lewis. It's not like I'm only on the survivor side. I've worked yes. with many in my time. And let me tell that's you, exhausting, I mean, probably. that's I, I feel like foreman in the ring. And mercifully, I'm actually really good. <laughs> yes. And, you know, actually more like Ali because I can get him against the ropes and exhaust and him. You probably created the energy you field know? so you're not like being... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or I can take the... Actually, no. Foreman gets him against the ropes. Ali can take the punches. Yeah, just, I can <laughs> take the punches. Yeah. And so it's a... But what I would see... Is I would say to, because here's the thing, what would be really interesting being in the room with a narcissistic client who actually saw through the therapy, they didn't drop out. One of the interesting things for me, I was fortunate because I had so, I had no spots in my, my practice and I've completely downsized it and mostly have ended most of it. But I, back in the day, I'd say, you don't show up, you lose your slot and you're not in this practice. And I'm like, well, I don't want to lose my slot, right? They don't like that. So they'd show up. But the fact is, is that when they'd show up, they would sometimes say like, I would say, gosh, that thing you just told me, you said to your wife, like, how did she feel? And how do you, and, and, uh, yeah. no, no, they'd be like, oh, I didn't really think about it. I'm like, let's think about uh. it, shall we? And that's something called mentalization. When you have someone reflect on what they think, how they think someone feels, how they fe think their behavior is affecting someone, like put yourself in that head space. So I said, how do you think your wife felt when you did X or Y? Oh well, yeah, I guess that wasn't cool. Okay, so what what might you want someone to do for you in that circumstance, right? Get him to do oh, that's it. That's good. And they would sometimes say like, yeah, you're right, that wasn't. So they, they weren't like punching me in the face. They were just kind of like, okay, that wasn't cool. Would they keep making the same mistakes? Yes. Me repeatedly saying, what do you think she felt? Or sometimes I'd even say like, that's not cool. You know, that was that. And I, I would often say, how would you feel if your wife saw the text mm that you sent, I, I divorce her, really, you know? And so they, and I said, do you see you have a double standard? Here's my point though, Lewis, and yes. one of the most, you know, and this is gonna be sort of a, com what do you call it, like a composite of multiple people, you know, from a confidentiality perspective, but sure. I do remember working with a series of people to the end of their, their relationships, and a couple of them said, more than a few said, you're telling me to make my marriage work I got to listen to her talk about her emotional stuff. You know, she's getting old. I don't even like to look at her that much anymore. You're telling me that I can't, like, all right, so I'm having, I'm just having sex with this other person, but you're telling me it hurts her. And they're like, oh and my they'll be gosh. like, okay, so you're telling me I've got to listen to her and I have to care about her feelings. And, and then, and you're also telling me I have to do this with this other woman I'm having sex with who thinks I'm going to have a relationship with her, please. Oh and my they, like gosh. that. Okay. So, you know what? I remember in one of my more successful, you know, some of the more successful cases, they come back and say, I divorced the wife and I dumped the mistress. Like, if this is, if I don't want to be causing this much harm, they weren't sadistic, you know, but, and after the therapy, they're like, okay, if that, if this is never going to change, I don't, I, 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 it's very clear I want to do what I want to do. And I right. thought that was a win. They're like, it's I'm not win. changing. Yeah. They were even aware they weren't going to change. Like, I'm not listening to her nonsense. And I don't like looking at her. And I don't think she's attractive anymore. It's like, yikes. But it's a win but for, the, for her and for them. It's a win for the, the other people have been released. Now, That's big. most folks, most narcissistic folks or people with these personalities don't stay in therapy. They're not great candidates for therapy. And my guess is to your point about these people who all slide backwards. There ain't enough ayahuasca in the world to turn these people around. Right. I can tell you that right now. There's not enough MDMA, MDMA. There's nothing. I think everyone's looking for the empathy pill, right? That's what they're, there's, that, it's not how it works. 
you know, there's just no such thing. So there needs thing. to be a, you know, this could be something that unlocks you and allows you to start processing mm -hmm. and bringing up, you know, potential wounds that you could start mm -hmm. to, to heal. To do that work, but, yes. But you've got to be willing to do some other therapies that's Correct. not, uh, you know, external focused around like a medical drug or something. No, to, no, to, you to have fix to do the you. inner work. You've got to do the yeah. inner work mm -hmm. to continue mm -hmm. that journey. Right, exactly. And that's why I'm saying that any of the protocols that are showing any efficacy again around things like PTSD and everything have to be done in a managed circumstance. And to your point, I remember once meeting a guy swearing by whatever psychedelic that's swearing this by. This is it. it. Yes. I, can I curse on here? Because I'm going to tell you right now, you this guy was out, the yeah, biggest a-hole yeah, yeah. I have ever met. I mean, I he was just a jerk. Just a jerk and cold and abrupt. And he was, but yet he had the audacity to say, I am so empathic now. I'm like, Ooh. you know, like, okay, that's not, that's not how it's usually done. And I didn't, I was not, I had no skin in this game. I was just sort of watching this conversation happen. He was talking to a group of people, but he was just a jerk for the full two days I had to spend in his presence and yet was extolling how much growth he had had. And so I don't know what that meant to him. And maybe people in his life thought there was progress. You know, remember, I mean, if you're starting from negative 10, even getting up to zero <laughs> yeah. is growth. Right. So there is that too. Right. But um, it's, it's, it's really tough because I do think there was an interesting article in the New York Times, actually, I think it was today or yesterday about this idea of like, um, does being in therapy make me a good person? You know, and is that what the point of therapy is to make someone a good person? What really is a good person? Mm. So it really raised a lot of philosophical what is that? issues. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And that's it's subjective to a point, but I don't think it is. Yeah. I think one thing we do know when we look at personality, in general, the I, I do think we do believe that compassion and respect make for a good person. But we also live in a world where people like that are viewed as suckers. Right. You have to have discernment around things and not just buy into what everyone's but saying. But it's not right? even that. If you're just, especially men, this is, and I really feel mm. for men having to endure this. If you're compassionate, sweet, and respectful, often it's not, those are not masculinized looking quality. As a weak man weak that you can take advantage of. Versus the guy who is like a corporate raider, who has a ton of money, who drives the fast car, is, is somehow viewed as strong. That's, I mean, this is, and right now that that's right there, the paradox of what masculinity is in our modern age. Until we can make compassion sexy, we're in trouble. What do you wish every man could learn to develop more of in emotion, society? Being vulnerable with emotion, to share, to share vulnerability, to share sadness. The number of men, for example, who've been sexually abused, mm. we don't talk about it. One I in mean, six. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And we, for women, there's actually, at least in therapy, I'm talking about mm -hmm. the safe space. But I'm telling you, for clients I've worked with, with um, m male clients, I remember some of them saying, I don't want to, I have something to talk to you. Can we do this session by phone? I don't want to look at your face. It's so shameful. You know, so shameful. And I think that, and when I taught abnormal psychology at the university level, and I was te teaching about adverse childhood experiences like child abuse, child sexual abuse, what I did notice was that some of the, the, the male students were really shifting uncomfortably in their seats. And I would slow down. I'm like, listen, if we you know, can take this topic slow. It felt like the women in the class were actually had processed that a little bit more on the, on the macro, like overall, than the male students in the class. So I think that to hold space, to be able to feel safe with talking about their insecurities, their vulnerabilities, their feelings, to show tears. I mean, 
there is nothing more beautiful when a person's able not to cry because they're feeling a genuine emotion. And I think of how we pathologize men for doing that. We do. We literally pathologize. There will be, it'll be the cold open on Saturday Night Live. They'll make jokes about it. There'll be memes about it. It horrifies me. So why would a man ever be vulnerable if he thinks he's going to be turned into a be big joke? Of, yeah. yeah. It's interesting you say this. And I, you know, I wrote a book five years ago mm -hmm. called The Mask of Masculinity, which mm -hmm. is about my journey of, mm -hmm. you know, letting go of anger, frustration, resentment, and stepping more into vulnerability, mm -hmm. right? The healing journey and, and allowing myself to be vulnerable, talking mm -hmm. about sexual abuse for the first time in 25 mm -hmm. years since it happened, and just unpacking mm -hmm. it all, what it means to be a man, how to take off these masks. Mm -hmm. And in the process of doing this, I would go to events and talk about the book, right? And there'd probably be 50-50 men and women who would mm -hmm. be in the room. And I would ask at some point in the event, I'd say, all the, all the women in the room, raise your hand if you... Uh, once a week talk to your, your girlfriends or you have a place where you can go and talk about your challenges or insecurities or fears and things like this of life. Your, your body, you know, shaming issues, whatever it might be, you can talk to someone about it. And pretty much every woman in the, the room would raise their hand. Mm -hmm. I say, keep your hands up if you do this every day with your mm -hmm. girlfriends, your mom, mm -hmm. your sister. Mm -hmm. And pretty much all of them kind of laugh mm -hmm. and say, yeah, I call people every day. Um, and I said, okay, the guys in the room, raise your hand, you know, if, if you do this once a month. You talk with your guy friends and you feel safe to be vulnerable and open up about your insecurities and all these different things as well. Maybe two hands out of mm -hmm. hundreds in once a month mm -hmm. would raise their hand. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, are you guys part of a church group that does this kind of like mandatory, yeah, like yeah. structural mm -hmm. thing where you feel safe in this place? And they all kind of laugh like, mm -hmm. yes. And I go, how many of you do this once a year? Mm -hmm. No hands. Mm -hmm. And so I go, ladies, imagine going once a month, Correct. not even going once a month, mm -hmm. not even going once a year. Imagine going a lifetime yeah. without ever being vulnerable and opening up because you feel yeah. like you're going to be shamed. Just think about the weight. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying how men act and treat you and this and this is okay or actions are, mm -hmm. are okay, but just think about that. Yeah, it's true. That. It's true. And, and I had, and I talked to different men throughout this period mm -hmm. who said, Lewis, I, I, I started the opening up with my wife mm -hmm. and after years, mm -hmm that she would always say, I wish you were more vulnerable. I wish you mm -hmm. would show emotion more, not just be mm -hmm. stoic or angry. And some men would say, listen, I started to do this, and I got the worst response from my wife, my oh, partner. Oh, interesting. Because they weren't available to receive me. Yeah. Being, they're yeah. so used to me mm -hmm. being stoic and this, having mm -hmm. it all together that when I was emotional, they needed me to be strong for their emotional challenges. Mm -hmm. Some of these women, I'm not saying always women. So how do we get... Women to be to accept yeah. of yeah. of men starting to shift and be to mm -hmm. show emotion to cry to say hey I'm mm -hmm. I'm struggling right. I'm really going with some issues right now right and I've got some stuff I got to deal with how do we get women also to be like hey it's encouraging it's okay mm -hmm. and and keep a safe space right. so that men will continue to and not be like well I'm never doing that again she she laughed, she made fun of me like. Right. Why would I ever do this? I'm going to be strong and tough again. And that's something that you know all everyone has to work on yeah. is how to to say what are our um, our biases about masculinity? Does it, how how do we will that change how you view a partner? Would that you know? I mean, again, we you and I I was watching you talk about something recently where someone yeah. was talking about masculine and feminine energy and all that. I'm not so sure I agree with that dichotomy to be honest with you, but I do think that it is a 
you know, the shaming of emotion and anger being the only acceptable emotion. So men use that. They, they, they've turned it into like the Swiss army knife of emotion. I'm sad, I'm going to be angry. I'm vulnerable, I'm going to be angry. Angry, 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 right? <laughs> right? It's like, it's just like the one, the one stop shop kind of thing. And, and to me, anger is an incredibly acceptable, healthy emotion. It's in the, it's in the whole, but it's, it's meant to be a whole drawer full of stuff, not just one emotion you use for everything. And that's, that's the challenge is that men do have emotion, anger. And that, that's, it's sort of switching that up, societally not pathologizing that, and, and, and women holding space for that. But I think the other piece for men is I want them to have more deep friendships. Again, something else I read, a great article I read about a guy wrote this idea of how many men out there have colonoscopy friends. And I, that headline grabbed me, so I uh, kept reading. You know what his, his point was? He, I think he had a girlfriend or wife or something. And he said, if she wasn't in my life, there's nobody to drive me home from a colonoscopy because you can't drive yourself home and you can't take an Uber home. So a person has to come and get you at the colonoscopy. That's and vulnerable. so it's very Whoa, vulnerable. Man. Most men don't have a, and this is like men over the age of 40, which is when you'd be getting a colonoscopy, that men often don't have friendships. They have like, let's go play golf, let's go watch a game, bar. let's meet at a bar. But that person where women have been are really good at that. And in fact, it's why women often fare better later in life after a spouse dies. Whereas a guy, it's sort of like they'll often decline Down rather hill. quickly. Some women, not because they flourish, but some women actually do flourish, but they often have a stronger support network because women are often doing that, that cultivating of, of social relationships. And so, because that's part that's just something that's more validated for them. And so, and I love that, that analogy of the colonoscopy friend, like the person you call that's and say, can you pick me up from this? And that, well, I'm gonna work. You know, so of course, I, I'm thinking of like the friends I have, like if you give me enough notice, of course I'm gonna come get you. And there's dozens of women I would do that for. And so, um, when I even ran that by my partner, he got really sad. He's like, oh, the guy have any colonoscopy really? friends yeah and he's like i gotta work on that and so yeah mm -hmm. yep <sighs> dr romany i appreciate you uh i want people to get more of your work navigating narcissism yeah you got it too podcast in. powerful season one is uh almost complete season two is going to be coming out early next mm -hmm. year but they can go through 30 episodes mm -hmm. of the podcast yeah. if yeah. you want more go there subscribe uh everywhere podcasts that you listen to also, your YouTube is an amazing resource. They can go check that out as well. And subscribe you. there. Uh, you've got an online program for people healing from narcissistic mm -hmm. relationships and abuse. Uh, if they go to your website, dr-ramani.com, mm -hmm. they can learn more about mm -hmm. that. They can sign yeah. up and get that as well. you got great content on social media. How else can we be of service to you today? I would say that, you know, for people who want to do the deeper dive into healing, I have that monthly healing program. I know some people say... I don't know. I don't know if I'm getting this in therapy. I may not have the money. It's it's a it's very affordable, and, and I'd say to people, you know, try it for a month. If you don't yeah. like it, it's you, it's really not that much lost. And some people say, okay, this is working. Or you see, there's a community of other people who've been through this. So definitely encourage people to check out my healing uh, healing platform. They can go to my website and find that. And you know, for people who want to hear lived experience, that the podcast is great for that too. Because on on YouTube, I teach people about stuff. On navigating narcissism, I talk to people who've been through and all kinds of things. They've survived cults. They've survived abusive relationships. They've survived spiritual abuse. They've survived, I mean, pick a form of abuse. We have talked about it. And so it's a real interesting opportunity to hear that conversation happen in real time and the insights people get when it's framed 
in that way. And and like I said, YouTube is like a big old library where I, if I haven't talked about it, then drop me a line. And if, if it makes sense, and I'll make a video about it. And that's where a lot of our content ideas come from. Yeah. People saying, could you talk about this or that? Mm -hmm. And so I do that. And then I'd say, you know what? Get out there and be empathic, be compassionate, and practice what I call recognition. And by recognition is that see see other people feel them be you know experience them hold space for them because that moment of recognition for some people it might be the very first time they've gotten it in years and it can be a real eye opener mm. that every time we meet someone there's something really extraordinary about yeah. them recognize it powerful stuff um i asked you a couple of questions last time mm -hmm. but i want people to go to our previous episode to see your <laughs> three truths and your definition of greatness you probably have changed uh, next time I'll ask you those again, uh, but I want to acknowledge you first before I ask you the final question. I want to acknowledge you for what you just said about five minutes ago about how I think it was a week or two ago in your own therapy you mm -hmm. realized you're still having a, a you know awakenings and growth mm -hmm. and creating more wholeness in yourself, mm -hmm. which is really cool to see that you're teaching the work but you're doing the work. Oh, you yourself. have to do the work. It would be yeah. it would be disrespectful to everyone I work with if I didn't do the work yeah. myself. Well, yeah. I appreciate it and acknowledge you for mm -hmm. how you show up. In so many ways, you know, in private conversations with people, the way you coach people, the way you're teaching in all the different platforms. So it's amazing. We need your voice. Very grateful for you and appreciate you for, you. for learning and, and using your wisdom from experience on how to teach this stuff. I appreciate that. You're welcome. And my final question, I want people to go check the, the three truths in the previous episode. We'll link it up. But my final question is if you could go back to your younger self before the first narcissistic experience that you witnessed yourself you know you probably weren't even aware of it obviously mm -hmm. but if you could go back in before that and she was standing in front of you mm -hmm. whatever age that was what are three things that you would say to her to mm -hmm. support her in the journey she's about to experience or to help kind of like you know minimize some of the mm -hmm. things that she was about to experience if you could go back with the wisdom you have what would you say to her um, I would say to her, keep getting lost in the daydreams because they are going to happen. And don't be afraid to change course. And especially that last one is don't be afraid to change course. I'm somebody who went a very traditional educational route, you know, four years of undergrads, five years of grad school, one year of the training in like residency kind uh -huh. of thing, two years of postdoc. And there was a time in there that I thought to change course and I didn't. And then I became an academic and tenure and blah, 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 blah. And when I was... Golly, I really didn't change course. I was 55 years old, and it worked out just fine. I landed on my feet, and but there was a lot of work that had to lead up to that. So there was times I was working three and four jobs, but I would say don't be afraid to change course. I don't know what would have been different if I had changed course when I was earlier in education mm. and knew probably there was a different path for me. There's a lot of dreams I haven't. I, I don't know that I might ever get a chance to do. I've always wanted to live in another country and things like that. I don't know if those will ever happen for me. Had I changed course, those would have. So I'd, I'd tell her, change course. Like, mm. it's okay if in the second year of grad school you would just, listen, we end up where we end up. So it's, um, I think that it, the path is the path. Mm -hmm. And um, 
but I, uh, yeah, those are, those are, but I'd say mm. it's going to be okay. And when I look at pictures of myself at that age, I'm thinking of my life exceeds anything that she would have allowed herself to think. Mm, that's beautiful. Dr. Romney, thank, thank you so you. much. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and it inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's episode with all the important links. And if you want weekly exclusive bonus episodes with me personally, as well as ad-free listening, then make sure to subscribe to our Greatness Plus channel exclusively on Apple Podcasts. Share this with a friend on social media and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as well. Let me know what you enjoyed about this episode in that review. I really love hearing feedback from you and it helps us figure out how we can support and serve you moving forward. And I want to remind you if no one has told you lately that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. <laughs>